Parables of the Kingdom is what we've been studying for the last several weeks. We've only got a couple weeks left in this series, and then we'll spend a few weeks leading up to Christmas talking about the coming of Jesus, and uh, then we'll break for a couple weeks until the new year. So uh, keep uh, keep in tune with on, on the website or through email newsletters or uh, just through correspondence with your friends of what's when we'll be having lunch with a lesson and when we won't, but we will be here for this week and in the, in the couple of weeks to come before Thanksgiving for sure. Um, parables of the kingdom. We're looking at what Jesus has to say about what his kingdom is like. And he, in some of the parables, looks forward to what's to come. In some of the parables, he looks at what is in the in-between, his first coming and his second coming. Today is a, a mixture of both as we look in Matthew 22 at the parable of the wedding feast. And if you want to keep a finger, you can, uh, in Luke chapter 14, there's a, a parallel uh, accounting of, of this parable in Luke 14 that we'll reference a time or two to get to kind of fill out the picture. Part of what this parable has to do with is the idea of regrets. Anybody in here got any regrets? their life so far as you look back I can't imagine there's any of us that don't as we think about it it can maybe something as trivial as it as I think back of high school football regretting passes dropped or uh, tackles missed that I can still see in my mind uh, of uh, the the opportunity for glory that was missed there Uh, it may be as serious as on the NBC special I mentioned last night, it may be serious as those that regretted staying in their homes instead of evacuating for Sandy. Uh, many expressed that last night. It may be as emotionally charged as it is for me to think back of uh, Jimmy Tucker, who was a friend in high school that we bullied and uh, teased unmercifully and thinking of um, man, I wish I could go back and take that away um, and instead um, build up and encourage him. Uh, there's, there's tons of things we can look back and we have regrets for. Um, it centers around the, the idea or the, the theme for most of us of having not accurately diagnosed the seriousness of what we were doing or on the other side, underestimating the value of what was before us. Not seeing the, the, the sweetness, the, the opportunity that was right under our nose. And then it's gone. And we look back and say, man, I wish I could have that over again. I wish I could go back and have a do-over, do that over again. The parable that's given in Matthew 22 of the wedding feast, Jesus is saying, hey, you've got an opportunity. There's an invitation. There's a call now. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Don't misdiagnose the seriousness of your your problem, your disease. Don't underestimate the value of what's put before you. Or there will be great regret. There will be great regret to come. Let me read it and we'll jump in. Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. 
My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads, and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I'm going to look briefly this afternoon at three things. The call, the consequence, and the completion that are outlined for us in this in this parable. The first is the call, the call of the kingdom. This isn't the main point, but I think it's helpful to stop and just look at the the mere fact of, of the call that is issued, the call of the kingdom. It starts with a a come and see, a come to type of call. He says, hey, servants, go out to all these guests and invite them. That, hey, I'm throwing a wedding feast. My son, the future king, your future ruler is marrying his queen. Come and show your allegiance. Come bring your gifts. Come celebrate with us. The, 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 the calves have been killed. The oxen has been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come. Well, they are ignored. So he sends out more. Again, calm, calm. Well, when that doesn't work, that strategy doesn't work, he goes for another strategy. He says, okay, instead of the, the, the invitation to calm, go out now. Go out to the streets and bring everybody that you can find and fill the seats. The, the, just the mere fact that the idea that there's a come to and a go out strategy is something that we notice and that should ring true to us in how God's kingdom works from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. As you look at the storyline of Scripture, all throughout there is a, a come to, an invitation to come, and then a go out, uh, a sending out aspect of the kingdom. It's always invitational, but it's multidirectional. I put a, a chart that just to, to represent it, because it's, it's, it's neat to see as you follow the, the storyline of Scripture. In Genesis 1 and 2, what are Adam and Eve supposed to do? They're supposed to, to take God's glory, the goodness of the garden, and to go out. To go out, to take His glory to the ends of the earth. Well, instead they of taking His glory, they take sin. <laughs> they sin, and the rebellion in their hearts, they take sin, and sin spreads throughout God's good creation. So what he does is he focuses his, 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 his focus on Abraham and the nation that would come from him, the, the nation of Israel. And he says, hey, I'm going I'm to set you up, Israel. I'm going to pull you out of the bondage of, of Egypt. I'm going to set you up in the nation of Israel on this crossroads of the, the then-known world. And you're going to be a, a light to the nations. As people see how you follow me, the kingdom that I set up through you, it'll be a, a hey, come. Come here, come, gather in 
to, to worship God, to be a part of, of, the, of this nation. Now, when Jesus comes, again, the, the, the direction changes. Instead of a, a come to, a focus on one people, one nation, it's a, hey, the gospel was never meant just for these people. There to be a conduit to be a light to the nations. Now that I've come, Jesus says, and fulfilled what the nation of Israel was supposed to be about, now it's again, it's a go forth, take the gospel to all the ends of the earth. And then we see in Revelation 21 and 22 and in the prophecies of the end, end times in Isaiah 60, another coming, another gathering in. So there's a, there's a rhythm uh, to the storyline of Scripture of a sending forth, a going out, and, and a coming in, a gathering in. Um, Jeff, you put that chart up there. It's, uh, it's an idea that, that we continue to be about in, in our lifetimes. When I was growing up in, um, in a Baptist church in South Georgia, the big thing, the big uh, strategy of the local churches was these big come and see events. It was uh, big youth groups. It was uh, big events that it was something new, something to offer. They'd have these, uh, these weightlifters that would bend a metal bar or whatever else, and then they'd have a testimony time. There was these big come and see events. Well, as we you know, grew up, we kind of got to the sense where we've, we'd seen pretty much everything they had to offer. And so people stopped coming to these big events. The attendances started to, 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 to decline. Well, then the strategy became, hey, go out. We need to have community groups, and we need to have them all over town. We need to go to where the people are. We need to have Bible studies in offices and, and, and go out. And now there tends to be kind of a, a, a re-coming uh, back to, hey, that's great to go out. But we also need to gather together. And, and ministry has this flow, this, this rhythm to it, and it's, it's biblical. Even in here, as Jesus describes the kingdom, he says, hey, that's, that's normal, this rhythm of ministry. And the church needs to go out into the world and be a light, be salt and light. But they also need to draw in an invitation, bring the world into the church so that that people can know Christ, so the church can be built up and grow, not just in depth, but numerically. Israel's history, our history, um, reflects this, but the point is that it's always an invitation. There's always an invitation, a call to be a part of the kingdom. More importantly than that, and point two here, is, is that there's consequences to the call. And this is where the, the parable where Jesus is really uh, getting to the, the meat of his parable is that people react in various ways to the call. The first group of people, uh, we could call the distracted. You know, what does it say? Uh, flip over if you do have your finger. If not, you can listen to uh, Luke 14. It says it this way. He says, uh, Come now, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The, the, the distracted. They've got more important things to do than this wedding feast. Um, the context is interesting. The first person says, hey, I've got a, a field. I, I've just bought this new piece of land, and it is supposed to be magnificent. 
But to make the sale final, to make sure there's, no, there's nothing, you know, uh, shady about it, I've got to go examine it. This is a big deal. I, you know, I, I, this great feast, I, I'm all for it, but this is, this is a great field, and I've got to go check it out. This is a business dealing that's got to be done today. If not, somebody else might come along and, and snatch it out from under me. So he goes. The next person says, hey, I've got this new oxen, and they are the Mercedes of oxen. You know, they're going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, I've heard reports of them, but I've got to go take them out for a test drive. I just got these things, and we've got to go check them out and see what these babies can do. It's a materialistic type of, hey, these things are more than just functional. These things are, are I've got to test drive them. And the other one is maybe more, one we can understand even more readily of, hey, I just got married myself. You're inviting me to a wedding feast, but I've got a feast of my own to host. I've I, I just gotten married. Uh, we, I, we can't just pick up and leave this to go to, to your wedding feast. We've got a feast of our own. See, we, we tend to dismiss that when we read over it, but, man, that's us, isn't it? We're distracted. We've got these business dealings that are important. I know the call of the kingdom is, is, is big, and, and, and the king is, is worthy, but I've got to do this today. I've got to get, take care of this now. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll give more time later to, 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 to the king and his business. Or it's, that's great, but man, right now, until Jesus comes back, I, I've got some, some pretty cool toys to play with. And they're, they're magnificent. I'm going I'm to test them out and, and get all the joy I can from them. Or, hey, I know you've got something on going on, Jesus. I know you've got a wedding banquet planned over here, but I've got some plans of my own. I've got some things that are important to me over here, too. And they're, they're good things. They're, they're things that, 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 that should be celebrated. But each one of them, in their distractions, miss out on the opportunity that's right under their nose to partake in the wedding feast. Not just a wedding feast, but the wedding feast of the king. The second group is said to be hostile. There's a, there's a group that's distracted, but there's also a group that's, that's hostile. It says that they take and they mistreat these servants shamefully and they kill them. And if they do so to the servants, it's sending a message to the master of who our allegiance is. Who are you? To come tell us what to do with our time and with our, our gifts. Who are you to tell us who, who we owe allegiance to? This is how, we'll show you what, what we do with your servants. Henceforth saying, and so we, this is what we think about you as well. Now, this is even easier to, to dismiss. We can understand being distracted, but we're not hostile to the king and to his wedding feast, right? Well... Come back to the Sermon on the Mount that we studied not too long ago and think about what Jesus himself says of anger. He says, if you've, if you've called someone a fool, if you've despised them with your time, if you've, um, if you've been angry in your heart towards someone, you're no different than having murdered them. You've started down the road in your heart that, that ends in the act of murder. Now, still, you may not think that's you, but I struggle with, and I've heard many struggle with, and say things like, God, we, we trust you, but don't, don't mess with this over here. I don't believe in a God that would do this. I don't believe in a God that would allow my child to, to come under harm. I don't believe in a God that would, 
allow destruction like Hurricane Sandy. You know, that's the God that you're, you're putting for me. He, he can't be in control of this because I don't believe in a God that can do that. And see, by despising him, and then when those things happen that aren't according to our expectations, being angry with him, we show the hostility of people that don't respect the king, that don't have true allegiance to the king of kings. And so we mistreat his messengers. We're distracted. We're, we're hostile. And the last group that's represented is, is the entitled. And you see that in this last gentleman who the king comes to his feast and he looks and everybody there is in the wedding garments. What are, what are these wedding garments for? Well, they're to, to put everybody on equal playing field. You can't tell who's rich. You can't tell who's poor. You can't tell who's, uh, who deserves the highest seats and the lowest seats. They've all got the wedding garments on. They're all covered. They're all equal in the sight. They're all participants in the wedding feast. Except for one guy that stands out. He's dressed in his own clothes. Now, he's not one of the ones who have refused the invitation. So he's one of the ones that, that Luke describes uh, more clearly in chapter 14 is this. He's Go out quickly to the streets and lanes. Bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame to the wedding feast. So he's, he's one of the poor, blind, lame, and crippled. But he's showed up and he's in his own garments. As if to say, hey, I've had a raw deal. You know, I, I've done my time. I've served my time. I deserve to be here. Wedding garments, that's fine. I'm going to come in my own merit. I, I deserve this. I deserve to be here. And the owner comes. The king says, no, if, you, if you're not willing to put on the wedding garments, if you're not willing to see that you're on the equal playing field with everybody else here, if you're coming in your own merit, then it's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be deserving. You've done nothing to deserve to be here. What you need to be is clothed with the, the garments of the king. That's the only thing that makes you acceptable. See, there's two ways to approach God. We can come uh, in our own righteousness, um, or we can come in Christ's righteousness. And Jay, put that other chart up, or Joan, put that other chart up there. There's... This is a chart that was made up by a pastor in, in Atlanta. And he says, we all tend to come to God on, on, a, on a couple of different ways. Most religions in the world come, and it's kind of hard to see maybe, but they start over there on the left with performance. And they say, if I do enough good things, then I can, I can gain acceptance to God. I can get to God. And that, that, that does create righteousness, but it's a self-righteousness. Um, and we, we, we tend to hear self-righteousness and we think, well, I don't want anything to do with a self-righteous person. But the truth is we don't want to, anything to do with an arrogant self-righteous person. We don't mind self-righteousness in and of itself. The self-righteous people are the people that, that discipline their kids and their kids act right in public. And we don't mind our kids going to play with because we, we know they're not going to watch R-rated movies or things like that. We don't mind self-righteousness in people as long as it's not arrogant self-righteousness. We don't want to hear people tell us about their self-righteousness. And then because that gains us acceptance to God, then he gives us his grace, and then you know, we can live in his love. Well, there's another way that you can actually, instead of starting a performance, what if you started with God, which is what the Bible presents? That God, not by anything that we've done, 
gives us his righteousness. And that's a free gift. It's by grace. And that creates righteousness as well. But it's not our righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And if he gives us that grace, undeserved, then it creates love. Love of him of us and love of us of him. And that motivates us, that compels us to do good deeds, not to gain his acceptance, but because we've already got it, because of what he's done for us. That's the difference between this guest and the rest of the guests at the wedding feast. They were coming not in their own garments, not in their own merit, but in the merit of the king because of wearing the garments that he'd given them. There's consequences to the call. If we are distracted, if we're hostile, if we're entitled, then ultimately we are not allowed into the feast. Our seats are filled by another type of person. And that's what we see in the third point. Not only the call of the kingdom, not only the consequence of the call, but thirdly, the completion that is coming. The people who came to the wedding feast, it's neat to see them and how they react. The people who came were, were three things. They were, first of all, they're much more grateful than the original um, people that were invited. They go from you know, the streets where they're begging for their meals, don't know where their next meal is coming from, to the palace. You can see them sitting there at the table nudging each other. Is this real? Are we really here in the king's palace about to eat this food? This is amazing. I didn't know where my meal was coming from last night, and now I'm, I'm eating this, the, the, this feast. It's a... It's a the difference between those who said, you know what, I've got oxen I can slaughter. I've got fatted calves I can kill. We can have a feast anytime. Why don't I want to go to the king's feast? I, I can do that myself. To how grateful I am to be seated here at the king's feast. So first, they're grateful. Secondly, they have a joy. And the joy that day, because of what had happened, was much more expressive than it would have been if the original invited guest had come. If the original guests had come, you can picture the feast being one of propriety. You know, every placement is set. The napkins are in the lap. It's quiet, nice meal. And you just hear the, uh, the silverware being, you know, clanging a little bit and just polite talk. And no, don't address that topic. That's not good dinner conversation. Let's, you know, propriety here. Well, here you've got people who are starving, who are beggars. And they're coming and give me some more of that. It's, it's festive, it's celebratory, it's enjoyment, it's expressed joy at being led in to the feast of the king. And thirdly, the occasion, because of the way it was worked out, was much more famous than it would have been if the original folks had come. Never had there been a feast like this. There had been plenty of feasts where people were invited and out of propriety they came and, and their duty but not one like this where the lame and the blind and the crippled were, were ushered in this was this was where this was the kind of stuff that legends are made of this is the kind of stuff that songs were written about this was some of the things that that will be talked of forever in months to come years to come these guys would get together and say you remember that day we were just sitting there and we were begging we didn't know what was going on we thought we were going to die and, and that, that servant came and and, and invited us to the feast, and we said, no way, you, you're, you're not, must, you must have the wrong people. And he said, no, you, you come. come into the, do you remember that? That was amazing. It's the thing that it made it famous. And brothers and sisters, if you are a child of the king, 
If you've been invited and responded to come into the wedding feast, that is something that's famous. That is something that deserves songs to be sung about. That is something that deserves to be told over and over to your friends, to be remembered, to be celebrated, to be talked about forever, because it's amazing that he would invite you and I to his feast. It's something that should be expressed with joy. It's something that should, should, should create in us extreme gratitude because of the king and what he's done for us. There's a call here of the kingdom. It's an invitation. There's consequences to the call. For those of us that respond to his grace, not because of what we've done, but because clothed in his righteousness, there is reason for much celebration. If I told you that I was a Georgia Bulldog fan, and you said, well, that's great. How many games have you been to this year? And I said, well, I hadn't been to a game in probably about 10, 15 years. And you said, oh, well, what do you think about their quarterback this year? And I said, well, I, you know, I really don't know who the quarterback is. You know, the last quarterback I remember was, again, 10, 15 years ago. I don't really keep up with them that much. Well, what do you think about the head coach? Well, who's the head coach? Is it Ray Goff or Jim Donnan? No, no that was 20 years ago. You, know, who, you don't even know who the coach is? You don't know who Mark Richt is? Well, well, no. I've actually been, you know, I've been following the Florida Gators. That's a pretty good team. And Georgia Tech, they, they're pretty good, too. I like their colors. You'd say, well, you're not a Georgia fan. <laughs> Didn't you know that, that, that Georgia beat Florida this past weekend? And they're going to beat Georgia Tech coming up? Didn't you know that? <laughs> you're not a Georgia fan. Well, you know, if they make it a state championship, then I'll go to the game. Yeah, I'll read up on them then. No, you're not a fan. It's not just when you're convenient. Who you're a fan of now is who you're a fan of then. A fan is a fan. A true fan, right? See, what we deem as important now, and this, I think, is the point of the parable, what we deem as important to spend our time to, with, who we deem important to serve, to give our allegiance to, now is who in the end, it will be revealed whether we're in the feast or not. We've got a call today. Today is the day of salvation to come to the wedding feast of the king. Not in our own merit, but dressed in the righteousness of Christ and what he's done for us and his gracious invitation to come and to celebrate, to be grateful, to express our joy, and to talk about it. He's done something worthy of fame and bringing guilty sinners like us and bringing us into his kingdom, inviting us to his wedding feast. And one day he's going to complete it. One day, those of us that come not on our own merit, but in the merit of Christ, will be able to sit down to the wedding feast of the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. And that will be a day of joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for parables like this that, that wake us up, that open our eyes to the importance of where we spend our time and where our focus is now. God, help us to develop an appetite for the wedding feast to come, to taste and see that you are good today, and to long for the completion of that feast uh, to come. And help us to not just uh, expect people to show up, but to go out, bring them in, to tell the stories, the fame of how you've brought 
a guilty sinner like, like me, like us, and invited us to your wedding banquet. And help us to extend invitations to others who are blind and poor and beggars like us. And fill your kingdom with joy and gratitude from sinners that have been saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.